we're in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. So let's read. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice. I'm not going to shout at the top of my voice, but that's all right. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirit came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep banks and into the lake where they drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So I'm just going to pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, come just now and help us to hear the message that you want us to today. Help us to figure out why this story is in the Bible and what it means for us today in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a policeman gets called out to a job, and uh, he arrives at the scene. It's all cordoned off, and his colleague's standing there, and he says, so what's this case all about then? What's going on? And uh, his colleague says, well, it's an open-shut case, actually. It's completely fine. The wife shot the husband for stepping on a freshly mopped floor. He said, all right, okay, fantastic. So, but why have you not arrested her? The floor's still wet. So, <laughs> yeah, are you getting there? Yeah, you got it. So that was a silly story about who's in charge. And um, certainly, I'm a bit of a control freak. I might not shoot you for stepping on my floor, but I might not let you mop it. I think I probably do it the best way. And Ali's the same with the dishwasher. My husband loves to restack. He's definitely in control, in charge of that area. And it also, if you ask my kids at home when I'm telling them, do, do, do as I say because I'm in charge. They say, yeah, but Daddy's in charge of you, isn't he? So I'll let you guys have fun over about who's in charge at home <laughs> over lunch. That'll be fun, won't it? But in all seriousness, we see today who's in charge. Who's in charge over the natural. He says, be still to the storm, and it's still. He says, get up and walk to the ill people, and they get up and walk. And this now is a spiritual battle, and he's in charge of it. Something else has taken complete control, but he has the authority over it. So I hope we see today that God 
is a God of lost causes, of impossible situations, and he's going to show us how he wants to deal with those today. So let's catch up. What, what, what has he been doing? It's been a busy old 24 hours. There's been some teaching of parables. Oh, that looks interesting. That's not how it's supposed to look, never mind. Um, there's been some parables taught, and then Jesus has passed through the storm in the boat with the disciples. The disciples freaked out. Jesus didn't. They've crossed this eight-mile lake through the storm, all the panicking, all of that nonsense. And it's for this one guy, it looks like. I'm like, when I was reading this, I'm like, really? One guy? All this way? If I was one of the disciples, I might be questioning that. Like, Jesus, what have we just got done going through all of that for this one dude? Are you joking? But anyway, we probably shouldn't be that surprised, given the stories that were told in parables before, the story, the parable of the coin, of the sheep, of the sun. And if you're not familiar with those There was a lady, she had 10 coins, she'd lost one, and she turned her house upside down. I mean, that moment that you're in your sofa with all that sticky stuff, she was really hunting for that coin, and she found it, and she was chuffed. She was celebrating over this one coin. And the shepherd, one sheep out of 99, out of 100, sorry, went missing. The shepherd left the 99, he went hunting for this one sheep, and he found it, and he was again celebrating over this one. And then the prodigal son, Everybody else, I'm pretty sure, was thinking, what are you welcoming this son back into your family for? What has he done? He's just not been great. And here you are, arms stretched open, and you're welcoming him back. So we shouldn't be surprised to see that our God cares about the one. And also we learned a couple of weeks ago from James that Jesus doesn't make mistakes. He's quite intentional about where he goes and who he works through. And so we see in this area, this guy, has scared people and they're not going there anymore. So they have, he has a stronghold over this area and Jesus knows it. So he's going there because it says in the text, it says, this guy, he's living in the tombs. This is all the stuff that's going on, on for this guy. It's a lot. He's living in the tombs. So there's only death in this place. How awful. No one could bind him anymore, it says in verse 3. He was breaking chains, fighting with himself, with others, tormented. Verse 4, no one was strong enough to subdue him. And I mean, this is no toddler tantrum. I remember that my toddler's seeming supernaturally strong, certainly in will. But this is a supernatural, ongoing war. He's at war with himself. It says he's sleepless, as it says, night and day he would cry out and cut himself. He was alone, out of control, naked. People had tried. They tried everything, but I think they've probably given up now. No one could help him anymore. And he was abandoned. He was a lost cause, or everybody else looking on thought that anyway. Maybe someone here today feels a bit like that. Maybe there's something in your life where you've tried everything. Or someone in your life, you think, I'll try and help them, I'll try. But actually, you've given up now. There's nothing else you can do. That's not what Jesus did. And so demon possession was something that slightly panicked me when I read it. It's not something I've experienced. Maybe people in the room have. I don't know. But as Christians, I think we probably recognize that we often have a spiritual battle in our lives. And I was reading a Greek translation of demon possession. No scholar, usual Google nonsense. And um, it says someone who can no longer exercise their will. How awful not to be able to be in control of your own will. And that is definitely happening here for this guy. He's no longer in control of his will. Something else is, and it's not for good. 
And let, this is quite an extreme situation. So we might find it, I, I often try and put myself in a story. And so it might be tricky for us to do that, but we'll take a wee think later about how we might be able to do that. But yeah, in summary, he was exiled. He was living only amongst death. No one's coming to save him, to see him. They're too scared. And he has definitely been forgotten. Everyone else is done with him. He's impossible to fix with an earthly perspective. So now we see why Jesus has crossed this lake and gone through what he's gone through for this one dude. And an up-to-date story, I watched a testimony this week about a guy called Shane Taylor. If you've been around the Alpha course at all, then you might have heard it already. So apologies for that. If not, and if you even don't know what the Alpha course is, it's a great course where you can ask questions about Christianity and faith and figure all that stuff out. So Shane Taylor was one of the most dangerous men in the UK prison system. He was sentenced because of um, attempted murder. And his sentence was extended while he was in there because he attacked a prison officer with broken glass. He was in segregation, and they used to serve his food just through a little hatch. If they ever need to, needed to speak to him or see him, they would have six prison officers at the door in riot gear. They were frightened of him. He was something else. He was a lost cause in their eyes. And so later on, in a different prison, maybe he behaved a wee bit because he wasn't in segregation, I think, he got to do the Alpha course. And during that course, he prayed in his words, Jesus Christ, I know you died on a cross for me. I hate who I am, who I've become. Please forgive me and come into my life. And in that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went running down the wing and he was shouting at people, Jesus is real. I've experienced him. He's real. Not quite sure what they thought in that moment. Maybe they were a bit scared when they ran towards him. But his behavior changed completely. He was transformed, this guy. Gone from living in segregation, and he got a trusted job in the chaplaincy. He was praying for prison officers, for people he considered enemies. Eventually, he got out of prison. He is going to church. He met a lady. They've got a lovely family. Really, truly, this is a story where Jesus has gone into a place of lost causes, of no hope, and transformed somebody. So he's doing it today as well. And I wonder how many people here think that someone like that maybe deserved forgiveness or redemption. I know that I struggle with it. My viewpoint might have been they were a lost cause, definitely. But thankfully, Jesus makes the impossible possible and turns things around for good. And so in this text today, Jesus is definitely bringing freedom from oppression. And again, I looked up oppression and it says prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or exercise of authority. The state of being subject to oppressive treatment. And gosh, he had been under prolonged, cruel, and unjust treatment, this guy. So I was thinking about how Jesus reacted to him. And I think it's a wee bit like he did in the storm. Everybody else around him is really panicking. What is going on? This is horrendous. And Jesus keeps his cool. This guy who is out of control is running straight towards him. And he is in calm control. He knows he's got the authority. So he's calm. And I was interested that in the passage, it doesn't say, and the disciples got out of the boat with them. <laughs> Thinking they're probably still in the boat. I might have been too. I'd be like, on you go, Jesus. You go first, please. <laughs> so yeah, I think they're maybe just hanging out in the boat. <laughs> and their interaction is interesting. Firstly, 
This guy did not know that Jesus was coming, but he is legging it towards him, and he's fallen down at his feet. I think he's desperate. I hope he's desperate somewhere inside. Certainly the demons were desperate. And these demons, as often happens in the Bible, like when Jesus first came to Capernaum, a demon-possessed man comes, and they know exactly who Jesus is. Everyone else is standing around going, who's this Jesus guy? Just like a good teacher on, wow, yeah, I think he's done some pretty cool stuff, but is he really the son of God? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Maybe just a good guy. But the demons know straight away. They say, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? They see the threat, and they know they're in trouble. They really do. And I kind of think that they start out with fighting talk. Jesus asks, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And again, I looked up Legion, and it's a Roman army greater than 6,000 men. So it's not just one or two. It's an army, an army of demons, and they're ready to fight. In fact, fighting already. And we had a bit of a joke growing up um, in my family. I don't know if anyone remembers the classic Saturday night telly that was the gladiators. Anyone remember? We did have a picture. There was like the wolf, like just right here. Oh, it's coming. And um, yes, that was good telly. Those were the days. And um, so if you don't know what this program is, in case maybe you're, you know, been in a hole or you're not from this country or something like that, or you're too young, that's the other thing. You're young people, you're like, what? Um, so Gladiators was an obstacle course, and it was basically Joe Bloggs, reasonably fit Joe Bloggs over here against super fit, exercise every single moment of their life, Gladiator over here. And Joe Bloggs, his name was Joe Bloggs. He didn't have a special name. But the Gladiator's names were things like Storm and Jet and Wolf was this guy. And that's all I can remember. My favorite was Hang Tough. Does anyone remember Hang Tough? Is it on here? This one with the rings? That was pretty cool. But our joke growing up was that I, I have an uncle. He is not particularly sporty. And so he reckoned that his Gladiator name would be Welk. <laughs> You're scared, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> And whelk is a kind of sea snail, so you could slime them off the obstacle race or something like that. But yeah, the joke was that it wasn't very intimidating. But yeah, Legion might have been a good name. So I think they start out with this fighting talk of this name that is Legion. But quickly, they're begging and pleading. They've started out strong, but wow, they've figured out that they are in trouble. And all of a sudden, they are begging. Verse 9, he begs Jesus again and again, not just once, again and again. Allow us to go, it says in verse 12. They're asking for permission. They know who's in charge, and they're cutting their losses. And um, I don't know what you think about when you think about the word begging. I think of somebody who is desperate, absolutely. I think that the demons were desperate to save their fate. And I really hope somewhere deep inside, this guy was desperate. He was desperate to be him again, to regain his own will. How awful not to be in charge of your own will. So if there's anyone feeling like that today, like something else has control in your life that shouldn't, you've tried everything, you're feeling desperate to be fully you again, we're going to make space to pray for that later because Jesus wants to meet us in that place. So this guy, he'd been forgotten, but Jesus went searching for him and he found him. I don't know if you remember as a child, I do, I did it often when we were shopping in Safeway, it was in those days. Um, there's a jingle, right? Does anyone remember it? Oh, no one remembers the Safeway jingle. No. Anything you want from the store, but a little bit more. No. Oh, 
wow, okay, just me. Did I make it up? No? Okay, good. <laughs> so that moment you're shopping and your mum's focusing on milk and what's for tea and she's going down the aisle. And I've been distracted by probably the biscuits, probably classics or penguins or something over here. And I turn around and she's gone. And when you're little, your world is just shaken. You literally think you've been abandoned. It's a horrible feeling. And then do you remember the sense of relief when maybe your mum just tips back to the trolley, Kirsty, and you're like, oh, that sense of relief. You're not abandoned. Someone's there. Someone's looking for you. You're fine. And I know that's a silly example. This is an extreme example, that abandonment. But maybe all of a sudden there's a way out for this guy in front of him. And he is absolutely legging it towards him. And he's on his knees in front of Jesus. So let's look at the change that Jesus made in this guy's life when he went looking and he found him. Verse 14, it says, When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. He had transformed this tormented creature into someone in their right mind. No longer naked, alone, or tormented, torturing themselves, but sitting at Jesus' feet, completely well, completely himself. Made new. That's what Jesus does. And John 3.3, it says, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He made this guy new. And he certainly wasn't searching for demons that day, I don't think. I think he was searching for the man, for that one lost guy, unreachable, that only he could find. He came to a place of death, and he found him. In the same way, Jesus came to a place of death for us, and he's found us. And he knows the battles we fight, even the unseen ones. He knows what's going on in your head, the prisons of our minds, the things that feel unfixable. All the things on earth that we try, our earthly perspective, no one is strong enough apart from Jesus. He wants to find us and he wants to free us from those things. And so this isn't a story of maybes, it's a story of yes and of no. It isn't maybe he'll find the guy, maybe he'll help him, maybe he'll send the demons away, maybe that guy will want to follow Jesus maybe the people will see what they've done and want to follow him. It's a story of yes and no. The story of yes, the transformation. This guy was changed and he was so in, he literally wanted to get in the boat with Jesus. But Jesus saw the power of his story amongst his own people. Verse 19, he says, go home to your own people. A bit like Shane Taylor earlier, he went back into prisons and he spoke into the lives of loads of prisoners. That would have had the most power. So I encourage you, speak to your own people about what Jesus has done in your life. How has he changed you? And then there is a story of no in this. The crowd, they knew the legion. They knew what this demon-possessed guy was like, and they were scared of it. And they came back with this crowd of people. I think they should have been like, whoa, look at the change in this guy. That is incredible. Who did this? What did this? Oh, this Jesus guy, I want some of that. Can I, can I be with him as well? But they didn't. Fear got in the way. Verse 15. And they were afraid. 
And I think probably a couple of things frightened them. The legion them had frightened them before, and they'd cast it away. Out of sight, out of mind. Just, just stay over there, this unknown supernatural force. We'll, we'll just keep you just over there, please. And I think they're doing the same thing with Jesus. They don't know what's going to happen. This unknown supernatural power. We'll just, just keep you over there, please. Thanks very much. And two, I think the other fear was the cost. I think money was definitely involved. So the demons got sent into these pigs, pigs, and it was 2,000 pigs, by the way. That's a lot of sausages. And this was their livelihood. You can kind of understand. It's a big deal. What was the cost going to be? What else might God cost us? I think they were thinking. And John 3.19, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because of their, their deeds were evil. They just couldn't quite see past the money, past the cost. I wonder if the story would have ended differently if they could have. I think it might. And Jesus' response to their no, I quite like. He didn't say, I'm just going to hang around. I'm going to keep healing you guys and keep teaching you until you believe me. He didn't. He respected their choice. And he left. They had a choice. They said no. So he left. He gave them the choice. And we also have a choice. I was thinking about my own story a wee bit. And when I was first thinking about becoming a Christian, I was really concerned with, how I'd have to change, what I'd have to give up, what I'd have to stop doing, the stuff I thought I enjoyed that um, I'd have to give up. I thought I was free, but in reality, it didn't really work like that. And when I did finally say yes to Jesus, I did change a lot, but I think I became, I hope, I'm working on it, become fully me. I was no longer trapped by my insecurity or enslaved by comparison of others and conforming to the way that everybody else does stuff. As cheesy as it sounds, I was free to be who I was meant to be. It is true. And my liberation has not been from torment or demons or addiction or anything like that, but from paralyzing shyness. This lady here wouldn't ask somebody to get up so that she could go to the toilet or go and order a drink or make a phone call. This lady here, this one. I think it's quite incredible. And um, I was thinking about Narnia within this. And uh, yes, Tom, yes. C.S. Lewis, got to mention him in the preach for Tom. <laughs> and the line in the Witch of the Wardrobe I was watching a couple of weeks ago with my kids. And poor Edmund. Does anyone else feel bad for Edmund? Was it just me? He was, no. <laughs> oh, poor Edmund. He was wooed by the witch. He offered, she offered her um, Turkish delight and hot chocolate and power. He was insecure, and so he went to the wrong authority. And the witch used it, manipulated that weakness. And that's what our enemy also tries to do. Pinpoints our weakness and tries to use it. Tries to keep you imprisoned, tries to keep you down, stopping you from embracing fully who you are. And our God does the opposite. He takes things that are weak or people who appear weak and uses them as a strength, uses them time and time again. We see it in the Bible, and I started a list. I was going to read loads. But actually, it's almost hard to find people who aren't like that in the Bible. People are like, oh, there's a really strong person. God uses them. doesn't happen. 
It doesn't happen. He uses the weak for strength. And so in conclusion, we know we can know a Jesus who comes looking for us, even if we feel like we've been forgotten, who finds us when no one else can, who frees us from all the things that would seek to restrict us and bind us, a God of lost causes who loves you whatever condition you're in. Broken, hurt, tormented, depressed, addicted, cynical, struggling with money, with sex, with lies, with gossip, with envy. We've not all got demons, but we've all got battles. Sometimes it feels like a legion of them. Too huge for anyone to deal with, or too small for anyone to care about. But Jesus shows he does care. So how do we respond to this kind of God, to this Jesus? And I think we can respond in three ways, potentially, and more, I'm sure. We could respond like the guy. Where do we need Jesus to come into our lives where nothing else has worked? Where nothing else is strong enough? Where we think something's a lost cause. We've given up. Because Jesus would get in a boat for you. He'd cross through a storm just for you. Just for you. Just for one. He really cares for you that much. And he'd come alongside you and he'd tell them to stop. But we do need to choose to let him. You don't get to say maybe. You have to say yes or no. He's inviting you in, fully in. What would you like him to liberate you from today? We can't just try harder and do better. I try that all the time and fail. We need God to intervene for us. And John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He wants us to have life to the full. And another way we could respond is by saying sorry. I know I certainly would. For the number of times I've counted somebody else out of God's love, I think they're that lost cause or I've tried and there is no way that they're going to get to know you or there's no way they're going to change. I need to stop doing that and say sorry and lift them up in prayer. And ultimately, the biggest battle has been won for us, of course. He disarmed the tyranny of sin on the cross. He's already paid the price for us. How did he feel when he was sent to die alone, abandoned, hurting, crying out, sent to the tomb? Similar to our guy in the story, perhaps. With the death that goes into the tomb, God transforms into life, which is offered to us freely. But maybe you're on a journey, and so your story is a story of maybe. You're not quite sure yet. You're scared of the cost of the change. The Jesus we heard about today is one that wants to meet you wherever you're at and wants to invite you fully in 